Welcome to the Comparing Notes podcast. My name is Andy Wolf. We are uh, three ordinary pastors comparing notes about life and ministry. And I'm joined today by Ryan and Glenn, my co-hosts. And uh, we start off each time with just a way to get to know us a little bit and hear about some generational differences. So my question for you guys today is the uh, the first kind of portable music that you remember. Um, what What device or what kind of way were you playing music um, that you were able to pick up and take with you? So how about you, Glenn? Yeah, very timely. A uh, little transistor radio uh, that uh, you could, you know, just the, just the AM. I don't even know if they had FM back then, but pick up the little AM. And I remember it timely because I would uh, sneak it into school back when they had the World Series played in the afternoons when they should be played. And, uh, and it would, would have the would have the, 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 the ear device, you know, snake up my sleeve and into my ear, be listening to the game while I was in class. So those little transistor radios is the first that I remember. Did you ever get discovered? Oh, sure. Yeah. But they just wanted to know what the score was. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> you like so good the, teachers. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first portable device that I remember was um, my grandmother actually won – uh, for through some contest, won one of the first Walkmans, um, and it was basically an oversized brick that played cassette play cassettes. And uh, I think it took like four or six or eight AA batteries that got shoved in the bottom of it, and I, I probably playtime was um, probably less than a, an hour or so. So you probably get you know two sides and maybe back to the first side of the cassette. Um, but you know, had a, had an awesome belt clip that you could wear on, which would, which would make the side of your pants sag down because it was so big and heavy. Um, but man, I, I could, uh, I could go out and listen to that Statler brothers recording as long as I wanted until the batteries ran out. <laughs> so I had the CD version of that, Andy. I, I had the, I don't, I don't know whether the CD version was called Walkman or not, but it was the Walkman that had CDs. And then the the nice headphones, and I think the battery life was a little better on those because I don't really remember fighting with the batteries. I just know every, when I'm th- I was thinking of this, I was like, well, I know it was when I was mowing the lawn that if I if I walked to I guess forcefully, the CD would skip, and so I had to I, I had to put it on my body just the right way so that I could listen to it, and about every hour go change the CDs. So. And I did. I, my dad did win one of the very first iPod, yeah, iPods. And I was young then, so I upgraded rather quickly. So I didn't have the CD Walkman very long before there was the brick of the first iPod. The coolest kid in class, though. That's right. <clears throat> well, we uh, we want to have some conversations about um, different things that have happened in evangelicalism. And the reason that we want to talk about this is kind of utilize uh, our life histories and uh, and think about uh, kind of different trends that have happened within the evangelical world, specifically the American evangelical world. And the way this kind of idea um, came into my own consciousness was while I was in seminary, um, we typically took uh, two uh, church history classes uh, one that usually covers from the New Testament to the Reform- the beginning of the Reformation or right before the Reformation. And the second church history class that usually uh, covered from the Reformation um, to 
usually about the uh, 1930s. And even though that would have been, you know, 50 to 60 years uh, uh, earlier than when we were in seminary, that's usually when they stopped uh, writing about or talking about or studying church history. And so I ended up in a, another class that I think at the time was, was titled Modern Evangelicalism, uh, which was an attempt to kind of take that church history from where it was in the, in the 30s and bring it forward into modern times, look at some of the trends, um, and uh, get, get a better uh, view of the landscape, as it were. And uh, that kind of was an eye-opening class for me. It was one of those classes that outside of um, understanding how to study and getting good theology was probably one of the most beneficial classes I think I took uh, in seminary because it, it really helped me to self-define myself a little bit. Um, I, I began to understand in that class what the difference between a fundamentalist and an evangelical was for the very first time. And we can talk about some of those names and, and movements. Um, but uh, I'm curious as you guys think about, and maybe let's just go around and not necessarily put them in order, but name some of the different movements or some of the different uh, things, trends uh, that you've seen within evangelicalism. I've mentioned a couple already. Um, with fundamentalism and evangelicalism, but maybe just kind of some quick hitters of, of different things that different trends that you guys have seen or experienced. Well, we can come back to this, but three kind of converged for me uh, early on the Jesus movement, the prophetic movement, and then the movement of the parachurch, uh, the growth of parachurches and, and their emergence. I'd say the, the two that come to mind first is the, um, seeker-sensitive movement and the emergent church movement, and I guess a th adding a third would be the mega church movement. Mm. Yeah, and I think, you know, even as we talk about this, there's there's interaction and overlap um, in, in many of these things, and so I, I'm not necessarily uh, going to play a historian here and try to link all those things together, um, but I, I think it's important that as we begin to talk about these things and even pastor... Um, churches realizing that different people have come through uh, different movements and different influences. Um, and so recognizing some of them, uh, I also think of uh, maybe a more recent uh, discussion of multi-ethnic churches. Um, and what does that, what does that look like? Uh, I think it's developed into some conversations that have become a little bit more political um, in the last few years. Uh, but that's been another, uh, another movement that I've seen out there uh, for us to talk about. So Glenn, let's go back to kind of what you were talking about, because one of the earliest ones uh, that you mentioned was the Jesus movement. And I know that you have some personal connections and maybe if you can kind of describe uh, a little bit for those that maybe don't know what the Jesus movement was um, and then kind of how you you ended up or, or what your connection to it was. Well, uh, <clears throat> this isn't going to be a technical uh, description at all, but just more of an experiential one. You know, just uh, coming out of the 60s and uh, just the upheaval and, and the rebellion and everything against the, uh, the organized government, church, whatever. And uh, there, was a, there was a spiritual uh, revival going on. There was an expectancy that, uh, that something was, was happening there. And the Holy Spirit was doing some wild and crazy things. And uh, and so it was in that environment tied to then there's a 
what I call a prophetic movement side of this, uh, how Lindsay, late great planet Earth, uh, was emerging. Uh, the nation of Israel had been born 1948. And now with this, you know, some years later, uh, the idea that the, the night I became a Christian, uh, the speaker or gave my life to Christ, uh, the speaker spent 20 minutes on a gospel presentation, three and a half hours uh, outlining the different prophecies that were going to, that were coming true or were going to come true and how he expected Jesus to return in the next three to five years. Hmm. Uh, well, I tell people I'm glad I put my faith in the first 20 minutes and not fully into the second three and a half hours, but I certainly do believe he's going to ret return. But but that was uh, that's also was at play there, and then the parachurch movement. Uh, uh, again, uh, in my high school. Uh, what directly led to me getting invited to come hear that evangelist that night was Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, a huddle group that had started, merged that with Campus Crusade and the navigators that were that were coming into my town through through uh, through uh, recent grads that had gone on to college and then come back uh, to our local church. And so there was just this, uh, like I said, convergence of these three movements that all uh, came into my my hometown and created a our own little mini revival there at that point to which, uh, wow, a dozen of us at least uh, emerged uh, into, uh, uh, into lifetime ministries. So those are the three uh, right off the bat. And then I'll just end that with, with, uh, and then uh, came, uh, I had that, had that time with the evangelists coming through town in December of my senior year, graduated and uh, went off to Explo 72, which was a large gathering of 80,000 uh, under the banner of Campus Crusade for Christ, but all how to reach the world for Christ uh, in the next, uh, you know, within this next generation. So that was, the, those were the movements that I was swept up in. And uh, and so grateful because I have uh, drawn something from each one of those. Hmm. I think for me, uh, you know, I was born into what I would call a, uh, at least a fundamentalist adjacent. Uh, kind of a background. And, uh, and so I didn't really know what that meant or what fundamentalists came from. When I went through church history, found out that fundamentalists were basically those that came out of the 30s and 40s um, and uh, were responding to uh, threats to the gospel and seeking to get back to the Bible. But in, in that movement, uh, ended up kind of stepping away from academics and, and many institutions, kind of the Bible church movement. Uh, that was born out of that, um, and then even growing up, we we when we moved, um, ended up in a church that I would I would describe as uh, maybe a, a little bit more evangelical, um, and uh, and more in a what a broader sense. And so, uh, from a historical standpoint, uh, evangelicalism goes back uh, all the way to Billy Graham um, and uh, and Daniel Fuller in uh, in kind of the the desire to respond to or react to the fundamentalist kind of re-engage um, in a larger group uh, in, a, in a greater set of uh, uh, cultural norms and um, and so just just kind of living that out but I think probably more personal for me than was after graduating from seminary um, picking up a book uh, by Robert Weber where he was trying to look at some of the current trends, and uh, he's a historian that has since passed on, but it was the very beginning of what we have, what was termed later as the emerging church or emergent church movement, 
and he was identifying some of the the people and the leaders um, names that uh, funny funny enough I think were known at one time and almost now have been forgotten um, with uh, with some of those things but it was a great time for me um, only because it really made me ask the questions what is the church and what is the church to be about and what are those things that we must hold on to and what are those things that we must hold loosely to and then I would say the other movement that personally affected me um, very deeply was kind of the the um, cross-centered uh, movement of kind of coming back to and understanding the reality of the gospel uh, is something that saves us, but now becomes the the orbit in which we move around. And I think being part of the Evangelical Free Church, which I've been a part of for most of my ministry life, um, having that be a focus, um, seeing writings like Dr. Carson's uh, on the the centrality of the gospel, and uh, and then hearing uh, men like Tim Keller talk about the that the gospel is not just the the ABCs of the Christian ministry, but it's the A to Z of the Christian ministry. Um, kind of next to that young restless reform, that's another kind of movement that was out there. But I, I think um, that deeply affected and and continues to deeply affect. Uh, both how I live, how I teach, and how I do ministry. So it's interesting about the three that I listed, the emergent church, seeker-sensitive, and the megachurch movement, um, is I listed those because those were the movements when I was growing up that I knew that we were not. I grew up in a Bible church, as I said. Um, I grew up at Community Bible Church. And uh, in that time in, in the in the church's history and time of life, it was definitely a very— um, fundamentalist style church. And we prided ourselves on the fact that we were not emergent, we were not seeker sensitive, and we were not a mega church. And um, there were things that I, I look back on and I'm thankful that th- those movements had some pitfalls. But what I have also come to see on this side of things, as we have adjusted away from that foundation now, we're still a Bible church, but um, not as fundamentalist in the wrong way, still holding to the proper fundamentals of the faith, is that those those movements were started, created, whatever word you want to use there, because there was individuals who saw a need for Christ to be preached in certain ways, saw that people needed to come to him, saw that larger churches could do things, saw that having, um, you know, experiences and in ex- experiencing Jesus as the, as the um, emergent church was far more experiential uh, even than the fundamentalist church. I, I've, I've come to see that there, there were nuggets of, truth and wisdom and good things that have come out of those movements. So I know often when this conversation um, starts, we we have a tendency of critiquing movements or maybe even my soul. That's kind of where I go of like, well, I'm glad I'm not this, that, or the other thing. Um, have you guys seen, and as you have observed more of these movements and have lived through more of them, have, have you seen where um, they start to the, where one movement morphs into another movement, which morphs into an into a another movement. So maybe we call it a different thing, but it's really just a grown up version of something else. Have, have you seen that take place um, in evangelicalism? Well, I think a lot of times there a desire to communicate the gospel to the age and place that they are. So, I mean, if we would go back to um, to Glenn's example of the Jesus movement. I mean, if I remember my history correctly, 
I think the Jesus movement for the most part was kind of born out of Calvary chapels and Chuck Smith's a desire to reach those in a, um, a more Southern California, even surf type culture and the desire to kind of bridge the gap between what might be seen as kind of older stated, um, you know, hymn singing, you know, dressed up type churches to see the gospel move into um, those that, that wouldn't necessarily fit into that mold. Uh, and so I think that that in some ways is a positive thing. Um, I would say the difficulty becomes is once those movements get started, they tend to get solidified and, or principalized. Um, and then, then it, it, and somewhat because of, I think we're American, uh, gets principalized and then gets marketed. And so it becomes is this, it isn't like this is what's happening or being reported on, hey, look at what God's doing, but it almost becomes, this is how to do it. Um, and so I think that's that's one of the dangers um, in those things. Uh, I got one other danger, but I'd love to hear what Glenn has to say. Well, we we all enjoy the, the New Testament book, Acts of the Apostles, which really is Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so looking at the best part of this, these movements, it's the Holy Spirit on mission uh, through uh, through us, through individuals that 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 he's picked, whether it's the Chuck Smith or whatever that that bring it about. What happens as you, I think, very correctly mentioned solidified or that the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit is 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 moved, moved aside and we mm -hmm. have. We have uh, marketed it or tried to be, have it become some sort of a, of a, of a cookie cutter, uh, uh, programmatic uh, kind of pathway instead of just hearing what, waking up, hearing what the Holy Spirit has before us, courageously following it and see where it leads, only to find out, hey, it's leading towards a movement of this and this is being done to further in a, uh, the mission, advance the gospel. Uh, only to be picked up on others because they like what they see rolling, but they don't have the spirit or the uh, or, or the place to be able to carry it on. Um, so uh, again, it just goes back. Yes, I see that. No one else sees it, but I see that hand. <laughs> well, I was just thinking with both of your comments in this, and you know, as you said that uh, we we like to market our Christianity. It has to be a certain way. It's almost like that is the singular sin or the the predominant sin of the American church. I mean, even starting back with, I'm thinking of the early missions movement that I went to Moody Bible Institute. It came out of, or it was, or Moody was a big part of that of thinking where we sent missionaries all over the world. And what we first did was Westernize them and then save them thinking you have to be like us, look like us, act like us, dress like us, then you can come to Jesus. And really it's that idea that so often the, these these movements is a marketing campaign where we have to say we have to make them just like us and then they can accept Jesus as as uh, opposed as, as Glenn as you said allowing the Holy Spirit to move and he works in and through every tribe tongue and nation and it doesn't say anything about westernizing them and Americanizing them I mean we're very we're that's very right. um, almost narcissistic in that way of thinking everyone's got to be just like us that's right that's right. Well, and I would say my other concern or danger uh, is that any of these movements, I think, 
tend to once that once they become solidified uh they tend to remove or at least at the very best assume the gospel um versus have that be at the center um i, I think a lot of times uh that whatever it is that that is driving that movement is taken from uh, a response or reaction to a deficit that somebody sees um and so they seek to kind of emphasize, but in their emphasis tends to swing the pendulum so far that it displaces the reality of the gospel, what Christ has come uh, to do. And, uh, and so I think there's, a, there's an inherent danger in being kind of swept up in those things. As you guys look at it, and even, you know, I think we've talked a little bit historically, but uh, movements are going to be ongoing. There's going to be a continuing trend. You know, if we think of the multi-ethnic church movement recently and the desire to see churches reflect um, all nations in a, in a local assembly um, or any of the other, other different movements, how do you think we should respond or react to, or, or how do we maybe in, in Glenn's language kind of see the spirit moving and, are, be okay with that, and then at the same time, keep try to keep the gospel at the center. What is it that we we need to do, or what what is it that we need to guard against? What's what where I first go with that question, Andy, is one of the new. It seems like one of the new cultural elements that maybe didn't exist in years past is the polarization of opinions, mm. where with movements that's um it. It can it can fall into well I'm of Paul I'm of Paulus I'm of Cephas it can't do that I'm of this camp that camp or the other camp but currently I'm thinking about the movement that is is big now I'm, I'm this as a as a uh, Bible study we're studying this the social justice movement and um, I don't know if it's the same in your churches but holy cow people have opinions on this thing and it is um, tearing groups apart and creating wedges and divisions and we're, we're this or we're that and there's nothing in the middle and i wonder how movements moving forward um can can be used to bring community and unity within the body of christ the larger universal body of christ and not divisions and or or whether the movements themselves are will always create divisions um so that was just I don't I guess I don't have an answer. That was just kind of my first thought of that's why movements are so difficult is because everyone is polarized. I'm this or I'm that and I'm not in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I certainly see that. The, the word picture one word picture that comes to my mind is is uh, through through the pandemic uh, we we in the church we're 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 driving down a nice country highway. All of a sudden that highway uh, gets uh, gets uh, gets stopped, and we're all detoured up on an expressway. And uh, so, no matter what your starting point is, uh, we're all up on an expressway now. And with technology and with the, just the, the glut of information that's available to us, um, and so those that weren't prepared for the expressway, uh, they're coming up and merging slow and trying to figure it out. And they're looking all over. Some have been used to being on the expressway, so they're just whizzing by. 
And uh, the others are trying to wonder, am I supposed to be in that lane with Zimbabwe or what's going on? So it's just, I think we have a, a there's a lot of movement <laughs> and a lot of, lot of movements. And we're all colliding, as you said. And there's that polarization that, that's one of the, the fruit of that that's coming on. And it's like helping each other find some rest areas along the way just to kind of pull over. And, and hopefully that's what this podcast can help provide, just an opportunity to kind of kind of, kind of stop along the way and uh, and and get our, our, our necks back to uh, uh, in place and just find uh, find some stability. I think in, in my position for the longest time, I would try to help those in the status quo lead through cha- lead change. Hmm. Now it's like with all the with all the change going on, it's helping our leaders to lead in stability. And just find find out where is our foundations now. We've been exposed, you know. So who are we as individual individuals walking through this? And now who are we as churches walking through this? Um, and let's get back to the basics and just see. So again, some of the thoughts, but more that just that movement. But but that movement up on the expressway, and, and we're all traveling fast. And road rage is is there, and uh, etiquette's been lost for the most part. How do you think we help people in a in the these different movements um, grasp what should be at the center as leaders and pastors? I mean, w- what is it that we um, maybe in the way that we lead, maybe it's in what we teach, but but how do we help people? Um, because I know at least in my experience, you have people come and uh, nobody. We'd like to think people show up at our churches and they're you know, a tabula rosa that they're, they're going to come in and they're going to be influenced by what we say or what we do or whatever. But they come in with all of these different experiences, usually with certain biases or desires or um, things. How do we, how do we bring them together and create, like, as you said, that, that rest stop and that unity, what are some things uh, that we can do or teach? Well, if I could jump in uh, here, just a second, there's, there's three images that I've that have been helpful for me and that I've been using with others. The one is the one is just simply the cross. Uh, the cross has four quadrants. So, and, and I use that just for what is the gospel. We've talked about it's easy to lose sight of what is the gospel in all of this. So just trying to bring it back to just simply using the cross, the world-known image of Christianity, the four quadrants we have in two words, and those four quadrants can share the outline for the gospel. God, man, the God man, and then God and man. And, and from that, that, that simple illustration, you can just layer that and fill it in. But, but that can help keep me centered as to what, what, is the, does that, what is the gospel and how does it fit. So let's take a, a big thing. Uh, cross, uh, let's go to, uh, uh, to CRT. Oh, no, CRT. You know, that's our, we, we go out there. But okay, well, how does CRT fit in with the gospel? What's God have to say? about it what does man have to say about it what does the god man jesus christ how does he fit into something like this uh what does what's the goal of god and man walking together how does that play itself out in that and so just having some sort of a frame there to be able to uh uh, to help us kind of guide the conversation that we know is out there but do it hopefully in a productive way i've got two other images but i'll stop there and let you guys talk but uh that so gospel fluency helping us remember what is the gospel and then how does how do the issues that come at play 
uh, in this day um, fit within uh, within that cross imagery or within that gospel. As a pastor that from the Bible Belt, where it's assumed that everyone is religious in some way, shape, or form, often what I see as congregant members come in or, or, or as attenders come in is that they have their they they know the basic tenets of the gospel. You know, God's love the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I mean, they know that they 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 have the the by grace through, through faith sort of things. But then what they have done is in the religious and the religious nature of America and in their own soul is that they've added things to it of that. Okay. In order to be the good Christian, the right thing to have the right movement, you have to do X, Y, or Z. So they add to it. So the, what I have seen is that in talking with people of where keeping the center, which is the gospel at the center, it's actually getting them to realize that they need to delete certain things, not add certain things because it's not a matter of, and I'm and I, again, I'm saying this from Nashville, Tennessee. If you are from Seattle or, or some other area Northeast, it's, it might not be the case from Nashville, Tennessee. It's getting them to see that, okay, maybe you're culturally religious. And as Americans, we all, we are all culturally religious in some shape or form, but realizing that you, the, the movements that we have to keep it in that framework often are movements centered on adding other things to the gospel. It's we're going to preach the gospel and do blank, or we're going to preach the gospel, but with this emphasis. We're going to preach the gospel, but add this. And when you when you start to add those things, I mean, Glenn, it's like your like your illustration of the prophecy movement. It's we're going to preach the gospel for the first twenty minutes, but then we're going to make sure that for the next three hours we get all the prophecy right. But it's realizing, it's it's reminding them that your prophecies may be all wrong. Your movements may be all wrong, your, or maybe you get it wrong, but the most important thing is Christ and him crucified. And so in my case, it's often getting them to delete those things and realize maybe you're, maybe you're creating, making a good thing into a bad thing because you turn a good thing into an idol. Glenn, what were some of those other images? Well, the other image is uh, that I use for for I call it disciple discipleship priorities. So we were, we're, we're to make disciples. So what does that disciple look like? If I want to be a, a follower, a better follower of Christ, what do I need to give my attention to? So I use the star to help me uh, to keep things in, in line. The, the top tip, the top point of the star is prayer. Just simply the fact that, that, uh, if, if, uh, uh, we have access to God 24 seven, we are not alone. Uh, we are to pray without ceasing. So, so uh, how's your prayer life? Do I realize I have that access to God every day and can walk with him? The, the second tip of the star that I go to is the Bible, the revealed word of God. So this is where I can go to to be able to get the instruction, get the motivation uh, and inspiration to go forward. The other side tip of the star uh, is, is community. This is the need for we're not created to walk this path alone. So whether it's the, the local church body, whether it's a small group, whether it's just getting together with a few others, few others to encourage me along the way, make sure I'm not siloed. The bottom two points of the star are are, char- are character qualities that I want to see in myself and I want to I want to encourage others on. The bottom uh, left, as I'm seeing it, is submission, submission to God, um, fear God. Uh, know my place and my posture there is uh, is on my knees uh, before God. And so uh, I want to to be uh, to be speaking that to myself and uh, and uh, seeing 
uh, and challenging that with others. And then the, the, the last tip would be the uh, would be humility. This is my posture before others, and this is just kind of kind of open handed and uh, and just wanting to see others as, uh, uh, as as more important than myself. And so those priorities are all great, but and you won't be surprised with what I'm going to say at the end. The reason I use the star as the metaphor is because you fill that star in with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps me to pray, who who reveals His Word instruction to me, who has who has uh, uh, given me the body of Christ to be able to come alongside and to fit into, who challenges me when I'm getting out of place and I'm not submitting to him, and who challenges me when I'm when my pride is coming up and I'm putting myself before others. So again, there's a lot of places you can go when we're challenged to go and make disciples. But for me, I try to bring it back again, like like the cross on the one hand, trying to keep it simple, disciple making, trying to keep it simple too. These are the these are the essentials. If I can, if I can have those in mind for my own life and be uh, and be helping others to uh, to set themselves in that same mindset as well, a lot of especially with the Holy Spirit being the true disciple maker, uh, then everything else can be can fit in from from there. The last image, just real quickly, I call it the spiraling arrow. It's the idea that okay, uh, we we are disciples. We're walking together. So at the at the at the very center of that spiral is just some of us believers that get together and realize that we're on mission and we're better together. So how can we utilize each of our, uh, what what each of us bring, our uniqueness, but see how that complements one another and we can see, well, what mission would God have us for that could spiral us out and put us on mission together? Um, to me, those three things, that gospel fluency, those discipleship priorities, and then the idea to be on mission together with others, those are basic things that we can, I think, all agree on or aspire to, uh, and then where the Holy Spirit takes that, that's for Him, and uh, and hopefully um, there'll be, you know, it'll be evident in the movement that people see from from me as a person, as well as the people that that are around me as we go forward. Thanks, Glenn. Those are those are helpful to keep in mind, and I I, pr- I really appreciate your continued drawing us back to the reality of the Spirit's work, you know, through the Word to see and to think about those things. Um, I, I, I'll add one other thing as we close off. I think as, as uh, pastors and leaders, I think just even the orientation to the fact that movements exist, I think is important. Um, and to see that they exist probably to address some deficiency or to address something that might not have been there um, in a previous generation, I think. And to recognize that, and to to see um, those greater things, so we don't a get swept up in them, but we also see the the goodness or the things that might need to be addressed um, that that we can look and uh, and draw the benefit from, um, and recognize that there's probably something else that's going to end up popping up sooner or later um, that we have to address or think about or uh, uh, relook at some of those uh, some of those things that and illustrations that you've talked about. Well, this has been a great conversation to think about um, different movements, and uh, I hope it's been benefiting to you and uh, hopefully giving you a perspective on uh, just kind of different generations and the movements we've been in in the churches, and uh, hopefully we'll give you a, a, some good uh, ability to look at where you're at, what's influenced you, and um, how you can continue to lead those around you. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast and hope you will uh, come back and listen to us again in the future. Thanks for being here.
Thank you again for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so by email at comparingnotes at gmail.com.